So we, uh, we gather on a night when it is uh, Ash Wednesday and Valentine's Day. Has anybody else been feeling that all day long? It, this is, today just feels to me like I've got several different threads that have kind of been weaving around each other. You know, I got up at breakfast and my wife had a, this you know, lovely Valentine's Day card there for me and I'm really just not in the mood because it's Ash Wednesday, but, but here's this wonderful card, you know, and it, it just, it's just a strange kind of day. Um, when we begin Lent, when we walk into this uh, season of, of dealing with who we are and, and, and what we are and our mortality and, and all that comes with it, I always, I come into this season with a very keen awareness. Um, it, it's uh, 35 years ago today um, that I got the phone call that my grandmother had died during surgery. Um, it's 15 years ago on March 2nd that my sister died. It's six years ago on March 5th that my mother died. So, so these few weeks right in here for me um, always kind of bring that awareness. And, and I thought of it was uh, interesting that this was the day that my grandmother died because this, uh, this woman of such great heart and strength uh, who, who loved her family and sacrificed for her family so extravagantly uh, that this should be the day that, that she dies on. Uh, and I thought, you know, that, that's, it's really an interesting kind of thing that, that the day on which we celebrate heart and love would be the day that she would die. And, and there's a sadness to that, but yet it's also a rightness to that uh, that we all recognized on that when it happened. And, and in a real way, that's kind of the way Valentine's Day and Ash Wednesday comes together. Um, I know we like to think of Valentine's Day as being really sappy, but, you know, Valentine's Day is one of those days that has like, three or four different traditions behind it. And if anybody's really serious and honest with you in the church, they'll tell you the honest truth, which is we established this day in 496 AD and no one really knows the story. There's multiple stories about why he's a saint. Um, stories about the fact that he, uh, he tried valiantly to, to uh, convert uh, the emperor and it was in response to his efforts to convert the emperor, emperor that he was, uh, that he was uh, uh, killed, executed. And that uh, part of that story is that, that he uh, created a friendship with the emperor's daughter. And so uh, as he was going to execution, he wrote her one last note and, and signed it, your Valentine. And that's where all the notes come from. Uh, there's another story that says that uh, he defied the orders of the emperor and performed marriages uh, because married men were not uh, available to be drafted into the army of the time, into the Roman army. And so he performed marriages among uh, different members of the community uh, so that they could stay and, and be with their families instead of being drafted off into the war. And for that, he was executed. There's all these kind of wonderful stories that, that float around. Um, but the truth is that the day was set up originally as a way of honoring those who, out of love for Christ, offered themselves up to be martyred and how interesting that it has transformed into what we have today right where it's all about romantic events and lots of chocolate lots of chocolate 
Flowers. Did you try to buy flowers today? There are none left in Austin. I mean, it's just interesting that, that this day that really was supposed to, to honor um, the martyrs of the church uh, became something so different. And if we pull it back to that understanding of the martyrs of the church, then having it on Ash Wednesday feels right. It feels right. Because this really is the beginning of Lent and, and this kind of coming into this season of um, sacrificial love and of being broken and of being blessed. Let's pray. Mighty Father, we gather on this night uh, when our culture pulls us in one direction and, and our faith pulls us in the other. <clears throat> and we come tonight to bring our hearts into your presence. Um, help us to step away from, from all the trappings of the culture for the day. Uh, and tonight, bring our hearts into your presence. Uh, we ask this in the name of the one whose heart was the greatest, Jesus Christ. Amen. So Lent is a, a season to remember who we are and uh, <clears throat> to rehearse that. And I think it's always important for us as we come to, especially on Ash Wednesday, to remember a little bit of that story. So we're going to go back to Genesis. We're going to bring this up. Uh, when, when God creates us and uh, shapes us and molds us out of the earth, uh, of the ground and he breathes the breath of life into us and, and places us in the garden where everything is, is provided for us and where our relationships with everything are harmonious with each other with God with our culture our surrounding and, and there in the midst of that we choose to listen to another voice than God's and decide in that time and place that instead of trusting God for our life and for our provision, we want to take that into our own hands. And, and so, as the story goes, Adam and Eve ate of the fruit. The, the, the only two trees in the garden that, that God said, don't eat anything off of these two. They, they ate of the fruit of the one of them, the, the tree of knowledge. And the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then... <laughs> You know, this is the way it always works, isn't it? Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. You know, it, 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 isn't that the way our life is? It's like, it's after we've stepped over that boundary that all of a sudden we realize that God's like right there. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me. You notice that one off, he, he's passing it off on his wife, but you notice he blames God for it? Have you ever, the woman, you did this, it's your fault, God. You put, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it as if he had no choice and then the lord god said to the woman what's this that you've done and the woman said the serpent deceived me and i ate 
at that point, I, I really, you know, you, you, do, do you hear the, the, the fracturing that's going on, the, the tearing apart of, of all these relationships that have been so beautifully woven together? Now we're going to blame each other and point the finger at each other. It's their fault. It's their fault. It's your fault. We're going to refuse to be responsible for who we are. We're going to refuse to be in relationship with the people that we love that are closest to us. We're going to refuse to even be in right relationship with God. And so in that moment, every, everything that God has so carefully woven together, we tear apart. And that's why we were escorted out of the garden. Because only those in harmony with God and in their surroundings can stay in the garden. And we destroyed that. And so as we left, God speaks these words to us as we go out into the harshness of the world that we have chosen. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Those hard words that are spoken to us. Now, one of the pieces of this story we always have to hold on to, we have to remember, is that when they leave the garden, God goes with them. Uh, if you heard the song, I'm Not Alone, that Erica sang up here a minute ago with uh, some Chrissy. I mean, this, this you know, I, you know God, God goes with them into the harshness that they have chosen. But now we're no longer in the world the way God intended. We're in this broken, fractured, kind of struggling kind of place. And, and this word is spoken to remind us that, you know, you've decided not to breathe the breath of God's life anymore. You decided you wanted to be on your own. So now instead of living into all of the life of God, you're, you're, you're back to being that clay that God molded. And in the end, that's really all you are. I know that we, we like to deceive ourselves and we like to put on our airs and we like to pretend like it doesn't happen. That everybody else dies but me. And, and this is the one night on which we all kind of need to remember that uh, no, everybody goes. No one's gotten their ticket punched to get around that. And, and, and if you take your physical being, your body, and you remove all the moisture from it, you know, in the end, you've got a box of ashes that's about this size and weight. You, you really are dust. <laughs> and, and the dust, do you really do return? That's the, the consequence of the reality of the choices we make. It's the world we live in. It's, it's the struggle we embrace. So, so many years later, there's another story out of Matthew's Gospel. <clears throat> and, uh, and Jesus is, is teaching his disciples that he has to go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. 
But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. All Peter can see is your dust, and the dust you will return. And that's as far as his vision goes. And so when Jesus says, You know, this is what's going to happen. All Peter hears is Jesus is going to be dust again, and this person that he loves so much is going to be that. He can't see past that. And so Jesus rebukes him. And then he tells his disciples, if anyone to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? There's this this choice (laughs) that, that Christ gives us. Peter didn't know it yet. None of the disciples did because they were on the back, the front side of the resurrection and hadn't occurred. They didn't know what was to come. But in the aftermath of the resurrection, they understood what Jesus was telling them. That, you know, you, you get to choose. You know, you can hold on to your own life, which looks like this. Dust to dust, ash to ash. Or you can decide to let this go. You can decide to let this go and to let the life of God indwell you. But you have to let it go. Doesn't mean that life's going to suddenly be easy. Doesn't mean that life's going to suddenly be all hunky-dory. Doesn't mean that everything's going to be wonderful. But it holds the promise. There's a, a book I've been working my way through by David Watson. It's called Scripture and the Life of God. I, I really, if you haven't read it, I, I highly recommend it to you. Um, and he talks in here about, uh, you know, our, our expecting God to be acting in the world and expecting God to be acting in our lives. And he's addressing the whole issue of the reality that, you know, uh, e- even if God does a great miracle in your life today, you know, it's a temporary thing, you know, because eventually you're still going to die. Uh, and, and God chooses to act as a way to show God's power, not necessarily to make everything right for us, because the whole world we live in is still this kind of broken, messy world, that we're in this place between the resurrection and the actual final fulfillment of God's desire and God's plan. And he writes, and he says, the world that we live in is broken, and while we should expect the blessings of God, we should also expect the brokenness of the world to come to bear on our lives. Advances in medicine and technology, the fact that people in the modern West live longer than ever, decreases in infant mortality rates, and other such positive developments can give us a false sense of security in this broken and sinful world in which we live. In wealthier nations, many of us have the capacity to shield ourselves from life's harshest realities much of the time. We rarely see death up close. Our babies are born in hospitals and our children are immunized. The stores in which we shop always have food. But then, inevitably, we are brought back to reality. We receive a bad diagnosis. A man with a gun starts shooting in a church or today in a school. 
A tornado touches down and destroys a community. Life is, as Francis Young put it, both brokenness and blessing. I love that phrase, brokenness and blessing. That we're in that place in between and it ain't perfect because it hasn't reached fulfillment. But even in the midst of the brokenness, there still is that blessing because we see the promise. And as we live into Lent and we strain toward that promise, part of what we were called to do is, is to, to yield, to yield our lives, to let those things be sacrificed in us that hold us in the dust. We were talking about, about uh, Lent and Ash Wednesday earlier in the week and Wynn made a comment about looking forward to the season and Ash Wednesday and saying it's like you, like you get to hit the reset button, you know? You kind of get to start your spiritual life over again. And I thought, yeah, I mean, it's, it's this time of, of, of living into this promise. And, and yet my experience of it is that it's also this time of experiencing the, the brokenness very powerfully. I, I, I've kind of thought about what is that what is that like i mean and and what i've kind of been feeling over the last several years and it's it's kind of like what god has decided to do is 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 take this person and begin working on me um you know in the beginning we're we're created in the image of god and the goodness of god is in us and this is who we are and and, and then we have that fall and and don't hear it as a story of what happened a long time ago here it is the story of each one of our lives. We have that, that fall where eventually that, that goodness becomes covered up and, and all of the, the sin and dis-ease that marks our world. So much so that sometimes the, the goodness is, is hard to even imagine. And, and then when we begin to yield ourselves to God, God begins to rework us. God begins to rework us. And I, and I don't know about you, but the way it feels like for me is, is, is kind of like I'm in the blacksmith shop and I've been held in the fire for a while and then God takes me while I'm still burning and begins to pound on me with a hammer. And it is painful. That he begins to knock off that sin from around me and, and the lies that I like to use to cover that up. And, and he's trying to, to bring forth what's down there in the core. But golly, it hurts. I mean, it, it's, it's brokenness because I'm getting hammered on and, and beaten on. I'm literally having the, the sin and the death and the hell beaten out of me. And it, it's, it's not a comfortable process. I don't know about you, but when we write these pieces of paper, isn't it great that we get to write them and hammer them on there, but we don't have to read them to everybody in the room? What if you did? Because for me, it's kind of like, that's what it feels like. <laughs> 
okay, God, here, here's, here's, I got I to tell you about this. And then the hammering starts. There's a, there's a brokenness in that, but there's a blessing in that because every once in a while, you know, there's a glimpse of, of what's down in there that God is trying to bring out that you get to see. And isn't that glorious? Every once in a while you get to see just a little bit of God that's in there that he's bringing out that maybe you had no idea was in there, that you had no idea was possible, that you never dreamed could be found there. And God begins to bring it forth. When you, uh, when you come up here tonight and you get the ashes, uh, you know, those, those ashes remind us that, you know, we're, we're, that we're dust and that dust we return. That, that's on our own. That's who we are. But they're put on our forehead in the, in the shape of the cross because they remind us that, you know, <laughs> Jesus offered himself up so that that's not all we have to be. And that if you're willing to yield yourself to his cross, there is forgiveness, and there's life, and there's transformation. And they remind us of, of, of all the things about our lives that we wish weren't, and that we carry, and that hurt. But in the cross, they remind us of, uh, of all the ways that we can be set free. Death to life. In sorrow to, to joy, brokenness to blessing. So I want, as you come up tonight, to just em- embrace that and understand that reality. But I want to invite you, as you move through the rest of Lent, to be yielding yourself up to God. Let, let God have at you. Lay those things down. Make room for God to work in your life. If you need something simple, just try this in the morning when you get up and you pour that first cup of coffee before you turn on the TV or the radio or look at your computer or your tablet or the newspaper. Spend some time praying and reading Scripture. Say, okay, God, I'm going to give you this day. So start it off for me. Maybe try learning the art of of, of holding off a minute before you say what you really want to say. You know, kind of like when you do emails and you don't send them right away because you really want to think about it. Maybe try doing that with your words. And, and, and before, <laughs> before you speak hurtful, hateful words or accuse someone else of the same, maybe let God's wisdom work in you. Maybe remember the, the thing my grandmother used to always tell me. You know, when you point your finger at someone else, you know what? There's three pointing back at you. <laughs> I hate that one. <laughs> and, and, and remember that, you know, when you get ready to accuse somebody else of something, the reason you probably see that in them is because it's alive in you. Just, just give yourself to God. The things you give up during Lent, give them up so that there's room for God to do something in you.
not just so you can check it off your list, but move it out of the way and then offer God the ability and the room to work in your life. Let it be a season of, of, of brokenness, especially breaking all of those diseased parts of our life in a season of blessing. Let's pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks. You, you know us down to the core of who we are. You knew us when you, when you put us together in our mother's womb. You know us when we, when we walk about, when we lay down, when we stand up. No matter where we go on, on the earth or above the earth or beneath the earth, we cannot escape you. And it is an amazing thing to us that knowing us so well, you still love us so powerfully that you have not given up on us when we have given up on you. That you did not abandon us when we turned away from you. But that your love is steadfast and endures forever. That in all the fullness of time, you came in Christ. And you offered yourself for us. So that all of those things that we had done to separate ourselves from you might be overwhelmed by the power of your life and love. So be with us as we begin this season together. And we begin walking this journey together. Don't let us take it lightly. Don't let us shy away. Don't let us be afraid of the brokenness. But lift us up and strengthen us. Remind us that in the midst of our brokenness comes your blessing. And in the midst of our dying comes the breath of your life. We ask this in the name of the risen Lord. Amen.